0: Welcome to CC Partners, the employer's choice. We provide expert legal and strategic advice in all areas of labor and employment law. By working closely with our clients, our experienced team delivers pragmatic, proactive solutions, resolving many issues before they escalate. Get to know us better at ccpartners.ca.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 5 of the Lawyers for Employers podcast presented by CC Partners. My name is Mike McClellan and I am one of the Lawyers for Employers working with CC Partners. And for those of you who don't yet know, CC Partners is a law firm exclusively advising and representing employers in all areas of labor and employment law. And in today's episode, we're going to take a look at employment contracts. What are employment contracts? What terms are implied in all contracts? And why do you want to have a written contract? I'm joined today by two of my colleagues, Kelsey Orth and Brian Silva. Good morning. Good morning. And before we get started, uh, Kelsey and Brian, can each of you describe your areas of practice for our listeners? And let's start with Kelsey.
0: Sure. My practice is split between unionized and non-unionized employers. But I would say that even in the unionized employers, we have employment agreements for all of those non-union employees that run on the management side or other non-union employees. So you can't escape
2: employment contracts. And what about you, Brian? Uh, Yeah, I'd say a large focus of my practice is wrongful dismissal litigation. And the issue of whether your contracts are enforceable comes up in almost every one of those types of cases. So like Kelsey said, you can't escape it.
1: Now for those of you who have already listened to episode one of the Lawyers for Employers podcast or have read some of our blog articles on the topic at www.ccpartners.ca, you already know that all employees have a contract for employment even if it is not written down. The law has developed a number of implied terms of employment that apply when there is no written contract. So, Kelsey, let me turn to you first. What implied terms of employment bind employees?
0: Sure. Thanks, Mike. First of all, you have to be able to expect your employees to attend work and to do what you tell them. We, we refer to that as the duty to attend work, perform work as instructed. You can also expect a certain level of fidelity from employees. They have to be doing work for you as the employer during the time that they're at work. They can't be competing with you in terms of working for another employer, working for their own business that competes with the employer when they're supposed to be doing work on behalf of their current employer. They also have a general duty not to be insubordinate or insolent toward those directing their work. And finally, there's a duty to work safely that's implied in every employee's terms of engagement.
1: And Kelsey, in your experience, what happens if an employee breaches these implied terms? So,
0: as an employer, you have the right to discipline employees, and the method and severity of that discipline will depend on what kind of progressive discipline policy you have in place. The law does expect, generally, some type of progressive discipline to occur before you reach that what we call the corporal punishment of employment, which is termination. So disciplinary responses can range from a verbal or a written warning, unpaid suspensions, and then finally that that last and really final step of termination.
1: Thanks, Kelsey. Uh, Brian, I'm going to turn to you now. Can you identify some implied terms that apply to all employers?
2: Sure. Thanks, Mike. So some of the implied terms that employers are bound by are found in the various employment statutes, such as the Employment Standards Act. Occupational Health and Safety Act, or even at common law. I guess I'll start with the duty to provide work and pay wages. So that's set out in the Employment Standards Act, such as minimum wage requirements. There is a duty for an employer to keep a safe workplace. That's found in the Occupational Health and Safety Act. There, of course, is a duty to provide breaks and meal periods and and certain time off of work. And that's found in the Employment Standards Act. And one that we place a lot of of focus on just because it ends up being the uh, the reason for litigation is of course the duty to provide notice of termination or pay in lieu thereof and we see this in both the Employment Standards Act but also at common law.
1: Yeah I think you make a good point Brian that that there are certain statutes specifically in Ontario that guide employment relationships and it's important to note that You can have a written contract, but you can't have terms of a written contract that go against what the written laws say. But Brian, you also talked about uh, termination and entitlements at common law. What is common law notice of termination, and how do we calculate it?
2: Um, Yeah, so as opposed to the ESA, which sets out specific entitlements, the the common law is developed by precedent decisions from the court system. So it's judge-made law. And I guess the purpose of reasonable notice at common law is to sort of bridge the employee from termination to when they'd find a new job. And and there's no specific formula, but courts will look at certain factors such as the employee's age, the length of the employment, the character of the employment, and the likelihood that an employee is finding reasonably similar employment.
1: Now, Kelsey, we know that the Employment Standards Act in Ontario has notice provisions roughly one week of notice for each year of service capped at eight weeks. How does the common law typically compare?
0: Well, the the common law is obviously a a much greater entitlement, and I shouldn't say obviously, maybe it's not obvious, but to us who deal with it on a regular basis, it is a significantly higher obligation for employers, being that it's generally regarded as about a month per year of service, or can be as high as a month per year of service, with a general rule or expectation that that not exceed 24 months. Although we have seen in the last couple of years, some decisions going above that, what used to be considered the the soft uh, ceiling of 24 months. And we've seen one for 27 months for a particularly long-term employee. I think that was a case out of BC. So it is something that employers really need to pay attention to when dealing with their employment contracts and situations because if you don't limit those entitlements that's what you're up against the the common law
1: now the the notice periods we've been talking about kind of assumes that there's no end date in the contract Uh, employers should know that you can put an end date in a contract or you can have a contract that's limited to a particular project or a particular season Uh, and then you know the contract the employment just ends at this specified end date, but be careful because if you have an employee in a fixed term contract and you bring them back year over year, season over season, and it just can be taken for granted that the person is going to come back for more work, eventually the courts are going to say this isn't truly a fixed term contract. They're going to interpret it as an indefinite term contract and our regular notice of termination rules are going to apply.
2: And Mike, if I could just add here, some of Ontario's highest court's have also warned employers that if you do have a fixed term contract and you terminate someone prior to the end of that fixed term, that you need language in the agreement allowing you to do that. If not, you may find yourself having to pay someone out for the rest of that term.
1: That's a good point, Brian. So if an employer has a choice, typically we would rather provide an employee with notice of termination under the Employment Standards Act than the common law. And the way to do that is to have a written contract of employment with specific terms of what the employee is entitled to on termination. Some people do find this surprising. The Employment Standards Act doesn't always apply in terms of its notice of termination provisions. What it actually does is set the minimums that can go into a written contract. So another hot button issue in recent case law And our colleague, Susan Crawford, won a great decision at the Ontario Court of Appeal on this issue this year. Is entitlement to be paid a bonus after termination? Brian, what did the court say in that case?
2: In that case, the employee was general counsel for the company, so he was their lawyer. And he negotiated and signed a contract that included a term that he had to be an active employee at the time that bonuses were paid in order for him to be entitled to receive his bonus. Now, it also had language limiting his entitlements to notice of termination. So his his notice period was a fixed period of time that he had negotiated. So when he was terminated from employment, the court determined that the payment date for the bonus fell outside of the negotiated notice period. So he was not entitled to receive that bonus. And, and we've blogged on this case on May 4th, 2017, and you can find that at www.ccpartners.ca. And I'd actually like to warn employers that in order to disentitle an employee to bonus payment they might be otherwise entitled to upon termination, you need very well-prepared language to do that, and, and that's one of our specialties here at CC Partners.
1: So I'm going to shift gears right now, and I want to talk about how we can make sure that our employment contracts are actually enforceable. And we got a good question from a listener via Twitter. And you can find us on Twitter, at CCPartnersLaw, and you can tweet us your question using the hashtag AskCCPartners. So the question we got, and I get this question a lot, is this. Can an employer put an existing employee on a new employment contract? And I'm going to start with Brian on this one.
2: So Mike, you always want to have the terms of a contract agreed to before the employee starts work. Ideally, you give them enough notice you know, a number of days before before their actual first day of work so that they can execute the agreement in advance. But at the very least, you'd like to have that done the day before they start working. Courts have found that by not providing employees with enough notice and time to review an agreement, that agreement might be found to be unenforceable. So it's important to remember that existing employees can sign new contracts, but that they have to receive some benefit in exchange for signing that new contract. Sort of continued employment is not sufficient in the eyes of the law for entering into employment agreement with new terms and conditions. In terms of what what might need to be exchanged to make entering into a new employment agreement enforceable, you can look at a promotion, a signing bonus, or even sufficient notice of a change to an employment agreement, but continued employment does not qualify.
1: Now, Kelsey, is there any other way to get an existing employee on a new employment contract?
0: Sure, Mike. The, the other way to do it is to terminate the current terms and conditions of employment, either with notice or with pay-in-lieu thereof, and then rehire them under new terms.
1: Well, why would, why would we have to go through that exercise? Why can't we just make an existing employee sign a new contract? Well, the, the risk that you have if you try to do that is
0: what we call constructive dismissal. So constructive dismissal is another form of wrongful dismissal. In the instance that an employee feels they have had terms and conditions unilaterally imposed upon them, to which they did not agree, they have the option of resigning their employment, and suing the employer for wrongful dismissal, alleging constructive dismissal. So if you don't want to incur that risk, then you have to either do as Brian has suggested and provide the proper consideration to change the terms, or you properly terminate the current terms and conditions and then offer employment under the new terms and conditions.
1: What can we do as employers to make sure that our employment contracts are enforceable? Brian, let's start with you.
2: So we've touched upon this somewhat in that new hires, you should always make sure they've reviewed and agreed to the contract and signed it before employment starts. Another important thing to remember is that an employment contract cannot violate the terms of the Employment Standards Act. So you need to make sure that you're not contracting out of any of the minimum standards set out in that act. Employers also should consider Bill 148 and the corresponding significant changes
1: to the Employment Standards Act. Okay, so we're going to wrap up episode five of the Lawyers for Employers podcast. But before we do, Brian and Kelsey, can each of you give our listeners one important takeaway, one important thing for them to keep in mind when considering implementing employment contracts?
2: So Mike, given how critical this area of the law is to employers, I'm actually going to do you one better and provide three takeaways. My first is that You know, you want to get those contracts out to new employees ahead of time so they have a chance to review to make sure the contract's enforceable. The last thing you want is an unenforceable contract because you just didn't send it out, you know, a couple days in advance. Takeaway number two is that you can implement new contracts with existing employees, but you have to be very cautious in how you go about it to make sure that you're exchanging something sufficient so that that agreement is enforceable. And my last takeaway is that, you know, in order to reduce an employee's entitlements to either bonus payment or their termination pay entitlements, those types of tactics by an employer will require express language that fits within the guidelines set out by the courts. And, And the courts are oftentimes changing the goalposts on what is or isn't valid language in those instances. So it does make sense to have your employment agreements reviewed from time to time by your legal advisor.
1: Good point, thank you, Brian. Kelsey, what about you? What's a, what is one takeaway for, for our listeners?
0: Well, I think Brian uh, covered the, the key ones there, most important of which is, is making sure that you are up to date with compliance because as you noted, Mike, you can't contract out of those minimum rights set by the Employment Standards legislation in Ontario, it's obviously the Employment Standards Act, same goes for other provinces, they've got uh, their own respective employment statutes, so a regular review, as Brian mentioned, to make sure that uh, everything's up to date is key, because as soon as you have anything that's offside the the minimum legislatively mandated entitlements, then the whole contract is at risk with respect to enforceability.
1: Thanks, Kelsey. I get calls from clients sometimes who are surprised to learn that there's not a probation period that applies to each of, each of their employees or who are surprised to learn that they don't have an automatic right to lay off an employee during a slow period. There are ways to include those terms in the employment relationship, but the safest and most effective way to do it is to have those limitations in terms specifically expressed in writing in an employment contract. And to do that properly, we really do recommend that you find a good, competent lawyer who can help you implement the kind of employment contracts that will be enforceable and stand up to scrutiny. So I want to thank Kelsey and thank Brian for joining me today in Episode 5 of the Lawyers for Employers podcast brought to you by the people at CC Partners. Be sure to find our website, including our weekly blogs, at www.ccpartners.ca. And if you want to institute employment contracts, or if you have questions that might require some more technical legal advice, feel free to find our contact information online. If you have general questions, we may be able to answer them for you on upcoming podcasts. Find us on Twitter, at ccpartnerslaw, And ask us your questions or tell us what topics you'd like to hear about using the hashtag AskCCPartners. Thank you again for listening to the Lawyers for Employers podcast brought to you by CC Partners.